Thank you to the praise team for the beautiful music and the wonderful worship experience. I want to thank my former student, Pastor Richard Lee, for inviting me out here on one of the most beautiful weekends of the year. Is that right? I understand you've had a lot of rain here this winter, and somebody thanked me for bringing the nice weather with me. Actually, I left rather dreadful weather back at Southern Adventist University. We've been having, uh, I think you've been sending your rainstorms our way after they're through out here, and so we've been having some flooding and the like back at Southern. One of the nice things about being out here is on the way to church this morning, I drove by the place where my wife was living when we first started dating on Lawton Avenue. So that was kind of nice. We got married here at Loma Linda in the Campus Hill Church, June 3, 1984. I better get that date right. One time I was up preaching and I made a reference to my wedding and and I got the date off just by a couple of days. My wife was in the audience and I haven't made that mistake again. (laughs) So I passed by the place where she was living when we began dating. Now, I also passed by the place, one funny story for you, I passed by the place where our relationship, which was just beginning, almost came to an abrupt end at the corner of Mountain View and Barton in the little shopping plaza there, there was a place that used to be a racquetball club. I think it was later purchased by a church. And it used to be a racquetball club, and so my wife likes doing some athletics, and I enjoy some of that too. And so she invited me, she was a member of the club, invited me to play against her in racquetball. Now, my wife can be a little competitive at times. I don't know if you know this, that husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends, sometimes there can be a little competitive edge to it. So we were, we were in there playing racquetball, and, and my wife was a good racquetball player. I'm not detracting from her racquetball abilities, but there was just something about I had grown up playing sports like tennis and ping pong, and and, and as as a man, my strength and speed was a little stronger than hers. So in order to make it a little more challenging for me, I began playing right handed instead of left-handed, without asking her permission. And she suddenly noticed that. She said, oh, Greg King. You know, if somebody calls you by your first and last name, that's not a good sign, right? So I'm not good enough for you, huh, to play with your strong hand. Suddenly there was a chill in the racquetball court. And it did not come from the air conditioning, so I had a little explaining to do, you might say. But anyway, we, we survived that, and this place holds some special memories for us. Thank you, Richard, for the invitation to come. It's nice to see my former students, Jonathan Park. When I was out here a couple of weeks ago, I saw Pastor Joey O, who was my student. Nice to see students from PUC days and from Southern Adventist University days. And for those of you who are parents that are sharing your children back at Southern Adventist University, I want to thank you for that, even though some of them are destroying the faculty team on the volleyball court. Just remind your children when you talk to them, though, that mercy is a Christian virtue, and that is a good thing, and plus remind them that their faculty members will be providing grades for them at some point. Let's bow our heads as we open God's word together. 
Lord, as we consider this parable of the ten virgins, we just ask that you will speak to our hearts today. May we be reminded that as we look at those beautiful mountains in the distance, that you, God, are more eternal than any earthly mountain, because you are our God forever and forever. Speak to our hearts today, we pray. Amen. Have you ever been on the outside looking in? It's not a good place to be. I remember one time I was attending some meetings on the campus of Andrews University and I I pulled back up in the parking lot of Lamson Hall where they had provided a guest room for me. And I think what caused me trouble is I got out of my usual pattern. You know how you have a usual pattern. You turn the ignition off and you take your key off and put it in your pocket or, or whatever your routine is. But I think my problem was I got out of my routine because I was listening to something on the radio, either a sports report or a news report. And so I decided to, to just sit there for a few minutes and listen to the radio. So I got through with what I was listening to and I I got out of the car and of course wanted to make sure the rental car was locked so that no one would steal the rental car and and so I hit the key button, uh, hit the lock button inside the door of the car and shut it and about that time I patted my pocket to see if there was a key in the pocket and there was no answering jingle in my pocket. Oh no, Greg, you haven't locked the key in the rental car, have you? Surely you didn't do something that dumb. But as I looked inside the rental car, and I could see inside from the the bright light that was overhead in the parking lot, as I looked in the rental car, there were the keys dangling tantalizingly from the ignition. And you know what I did. I quickly tried all four doors of the car and every last one was locked. On the outside, looking in. Have you ever been on the outside looking in? It can happen at a sports event. One time my father was taking us to a hockey game and I don't know what it was like in your home and in my home my father and mother had a different attitude about this type of thing. My mother was everything should be prepared in advance and of course you you purchase your tickets in advance if you're going to the game and my father was well we'll take care of it when we get there. So we went to watch a hockey game in Atlanta, Georgia where I was growing up, and and it so happened that this game was being well attended. Atlanta's National Hockey League team, which it no longer has, by the way. And so we got there to the arena that evening, and there were no tickets available. All of the ticket booths sold out, sold out, sold out. And all we could do is walk around the arena looking in through the glass doors. On the outside, looking in. Have you ever been on the outside, looking in? It's not a good place to be. Jesus told a story 
of 10 girls, five of whom ended up on the outside looking in. And I'd like to examine this story. It was nicely read for our scripture reading this morning. But I would like to examine this story today because it's the story of a wedding. A wedding that was taking place, and and it's unlike modern weddings, at least those that take place in the United States. In fact, as we consider this story, there are several customs you need to understand in order to understand this story. Several customs that are different from our customs with weddings in the United States. First of all, at ancient weddings in the Middle East, the bride did not know when the groom was going to show up at her place for the wedding. She didn't know when he would come. There would be a a one-week or two-week window of opportunity within which he might arrive. Now, presumably, she would hope he was so excited about uniting with her in marriage that he would come early during that window of opportunity. But it was considered to be part of the fun of the game, so to speak, part of the excitement of the occasion if the the groom should come and surprise the bridal party. Another strange custom is that when the wedding procession was taking place on the streets after dark, you couldn't participate unless you had your own lamp. No one was permitted to be part of the wedding procession unless they had a lamp with them. And then the last custom that was different from our customs is that if you arrived late to the wedding you were denied entrance to the occasion. Now, to be honest, it's a little embarrassing to arrive late at a wedding in the United States, and and you will want to make sure if you arrive tardy to a wedding, you don't make your entrance at the same time the bride is coming down the aisle. You understand that, right? You don't want the the photographer to preserve for posterity the picture of the bride making her grand entrance down the aisle and there you are craning your neck looking for a seat in the wedding. But as far as I know, we don't put bouncers at the door to keep people out. You just want to slip in unobtrusively to the wedding. But in biblical times, if you arrived late, the door was closed, locked, shut, and you were denied entrance to the wedding. Now with those customs in mind, I want to consider some lessons we can learn from this story. And somebody might say, well, Pastor Greg, what is complicated about this story? Jesus told of ten girls, five of whom were ready and five weren't. Five went in to the wedding, five were denied entrance. It's pretty simple, isn't it? You have five Christians and five non-Christians. Or five church members and five non-members. But my friends, I want us to think a little more carefully about the story. You may remember that all ten of them were called virgins. All ten of them professed purity. All ten of them belonged to the church. To apply it to us, we might say that all ten of them belonged to the Seventh-day Adventist church. 
But when all is said and done, when the sad story is completed, five are inside enjoying fellowship at the wedding, enjoying the party, enjoying the occasion, and five are left on the outside looking in. I believe that this story speaks with relevance, with pertinence, with power to us in the year 2019 so that we don't end up on the outside looking in. I would like for us to examine four lessons that we might learn from this story. Four lessons that we can extract. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But in midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. But the story goes on to say that five of the bridesmaids had no ample supply of oil and thus were not able to be part of the wedding procession. The first lesson I want to highlight that speaks to me from this story could be stated in these words, we must have a light. Remember how I said that at ancient weddings, if you were If you didn't have your own lap, you were not part of the wedding procession. You were denied the permission to do that. We must have a light. What is light? What does it symbolize in Scripture? There's one verse that comes to mind for me. Perhaps you learned it when you were young. It's found in the longest chapter of the Bible. Psalm 119, 105, what does it say? Your word is a what? A lamp to my feet and a what? A light unto my path. Your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a rock cave. In the years since I went on that caving expedition, I actually went and looked it up on the internet, and it's something like the the 123rd longest cave in the United States. And we got down there deep inside the recesses of the earth, and, and I tell you, when you get down inside of the earth, and you turn your headlamps off, and you turn your flashlights off, you are enveloped in total darkness. You can't see your finger a couple of inches in front of your face. Darkness. And you start to have thoughts like this. What if our lights don't come back on in the morning? Of course, the only way you would know it was morning would be like by looking at your watch. Because there's no sunrise, no sunset, down inside the bowels of the earth. The only way we were able to make it out of tumbling rock cave after getting on our bellies and and crawling for a half mile or so deep inside the heart of the earth, the only way we were able to get out was by illuminating 
our lights. And I want to say today that, that we live in a world that is nearly overtaken with darkness. And I believe that we need the light of God's word in order to navigate successfully through the world in which we live. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need the light of God's word. I have been impressed deeply, my friends, with the relevance, the power, the importance of the Word of God. One of my own devotional exercises for this year is, is I'm going through the exercise of reading through the Bible in a year. And I don't know exactly what you are focused on in your devotional life, but, but I want to challenge you that the Word of God would be part of that. I believe God's word brings power to our lives. It illuminates our lives. We need the power, the light of God's word. But there's one other application of light that I want to mention in scripture. It's found in Jesus' longest sermon, at least the longest one recorded in scripture. And and by the way, the way you can determine this is if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, and you look at at which sermon has the most red words in succession, you will see it is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And Jesus says something very interesting. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. What does Jesus say? You speaking to his followers, his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now somebody here today might say, but, but Pastor Greg, how can I be light? I make mistakes, I fall short, sometimes I'm selfish, sometimes I'm prideful, sometimes I get caught in traffic here and I get irritated at it. And I am patient. And the fruit of the Spirit is not always on display in my life. How can I be light? It's a valid question. It's a question we all face. How can I be light? If you were to step out at nighttime when the moon is full and I don't know if you've looked sometimes I am something of an amateur astronomer and and did you notice in January we had a what was it called a super blood wolf moon did anybody read that I think the wolf moon comes from a Native American term and the 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 super blood moon it was closer in its orbit around the earth, sometimes it's about 220,000 miles and sometimes about 250,000 miles and, and it was as one of its closest points of proximity. And so it made the moon look larger than it usually is. And when I went out that night, it was so bright, a big white ball in the sky. But I have a question, science students. If you would be standing on the moon, how much intrinsic light does the moon have? 
how much light is inherently in the moon? The moon only shines by reflecting the light of the sun. And I believe that is the answer to the challenge posed. How can we be light? We shine by reflecting the light of Jesus Christ in our lives. In fact, there was recently a lunar eclipse. Did anybody here go out and watch it? I enjoyed watching the moon disappear that night. What was happening? The earth was coming between the moon and the sun. The light of the sun was being blocked from the moon. And if we do not have Jesus being reflected in us, we cannot be a light. We must have a light We must be a light. Second lesson I want to learn from Matthew chapter 25. It comes from verses 8 and 9. And the foolish, but the wise answered saying, There will not be enough for us and for you. Go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, at first glance, when you think about it, doesn't this reply sound a little bit selfish? I want you to think about it for a moment. Doesn't it sound like they lacked generosity? They were unwilling to share their oil. They said, no, go and buy some for yourselves. I thought we are encouraged in Scripture to share with others, to be generous with others, to give of those that ask of us. And they say, go and buy for yourselves. But my friends, I believe the story is told this way for a reason. It is indicating to us that there are some things in life we must experience for ourselves. There are some things that cannot be borrowed. You know, we live in a day and age where people think that they can borrow most anything. I get letters in the mail on an occasional basis. Dear Mr. King, are you wanting to go to a vacation in Hawaii? You can borrow money from our credit card company and pay it back at 20% rate of interest. (laughs) We will be happy to loan you money, they say. Sometimes we think that you can borrow most anything in this day and age. But isn't it true, my friends, there are some things you have to experience for yourself. Summer before last, I went with one of my sons and my nephew for a, an excursion bicycling in the country of Japan. Now, I didn't plan the route. My, my son planned the route. And, and, and there were some days that I felt like he had planned the route so we were hitting every hill in the country of Japan as we were bicycling. And, and you know, you've heard the rule before that what goes up must come down, but I wasn't sure if it applied on this bicycling trip. It was grueling. And then at night, we were not staying in Hampton Inn or holiday in. You see, my son and my nephew had figured out that in Japan, they don't bother you too much if you go under a picnic pavilion at a local park that you find and and put up your hammock or roll out your sleeping bag, and they don't bother you too much, and they let you sleep. But what if you can't sleep in a hammock? What if you are used to sleeping on your stomach? 
and not on your back. And, and by the way, if anybody ever tells you that Japan has no mosquitoes, don't believe them. Because I felt like I encountered every mosquito over there as well. And, and oh, by the way, if your hammock is not tied with firm knots at each end, it can collapse and go down to the pavement. And so I was trying to explain to my wife the joys of my trip to Japan. And some people were coming to her and saying, oh, that was so nice of you, Mary, to let Greg go bicycling with the boys. And she said, I don't want to be over there doing that. That is a guy's trip. You see the ardor of the trip, the, the, the grueling nature of the trip. It was something that you had to experience to understand. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Either you have gone or are going through medical school or or dental school or PT school or something like that, and you know the challenges involved in that. And, And if you haven't experienced it in that way, you don't really fully understand. And of course, there's one area that I, as a guy, must be very careful talking about. My secretary's daughter yesterday just gave birth to my secretary's first grandchild, and so she was very excited about that. And if I go in to pay a pastoral visit this coming week, and I talk to the mother, I'm not going to go to her and say, well, I'm glad you survived childbirth. I know just how you feel. For those of you that are husbands or future husbands, walk very carefully on that ground because we don't know how it feels. Some things you have to experience for yourself. And my friends, that is the way it is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. A concern that I have for my students A concern that I have for my church, for the church family here today, is this. Sometimes we might think that if our mother and father are good, committed Christians, if we go to a Christian institution, if we have a degree from Pacific Union College or Southern Adventist University or Loma Linda University, a Seventh-day Adventist institution, that, that somehow this gives us special standing. That if our name is on the church membership role, that, that maybe this gives us a place of safety. I'm not disparaging church membership, please understand. But I am saying that does not suffice for a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must know him for ourselves, individually and personally. It's not enough for my mother or father to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not enough for my brother and sister I must know Jesus for myself because some things cannot be borrowed. Third lesson I want to learn from this story. Not only do we see the importance of having a light, of knowing Jesus for ourselves. Look at chapter 25 verse 5 again. As the bridegroom was delayed... Five of them became drowsy and slept. Is that what it says? How many of them became sleepy, class? 
all of them became drowsy and slept. And so there are a couple of points you might make from this aspect of the story. Perhaps none of us are as spiritually alert, as spiritually awake as we should be. But that is not the point that I want to make. I would state the lesson in these words, don't sleep unless you are prepared to meet Jesus. You see, all of them became drowsy and slept. But isn't it true there was a difference in their sleep? Because you see, for five of them, when they were awakened by that cry, behold, the bridegroom is coming. When they were awakened, they replenished their supply of oil. Their lamps burned brightly. They proceeded to participate in the wedding processional. But for the other five, their lamps were flickering and fading and going out. Don't sleep unless you are prepared. My favorite story to illustrate this is one that I grew up with. I don't know if any of you here grew up with with Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories. And I haven't remembered all of those stories over the years, but but one of them that has etched itself permanently in my mind is the story of, of Victor, the boy who could sleep on windy nights. Did any of the rest of you hear this story? Farmer Jones went out to the labor market. He was looking for someone who could come to his farm and work for the summer. And so he walked up and down the line of young men there waiting, the line of teenagers, and he was particularly attracted to one young man who had an honest face, a, a face that bespoke integrity. Son, do you want a job for the summer? Victor nodded his head. Do you know how to work on the farm? Do you know how to handle the farm equipment and the tools? And Victor's reply was very curious. He said, sir, I can sleep on windy nights. I didn't ask about your sleep habits, son. I want to know about your work habits. Can you work? I can sleep on windy nights, was the reply. So the farmer walked away muttering something about the boy must not be able to hear or he, he, something was wrong with him. But, but somehow the farmer couldn't forget about that honest looking face. So he came back later and asked him again, son, can you work? Do you know how to work on the farm? I can sleep on windy nights was the only reply Farmer Jones got. Well, come on out and see what you can do anyway. And when Victor arrived out at the farm, the farmer forgot all about that strange reply because Victor was such an excellent worker, the best worker Farmer Jones had ever had. At least he forgot about that reply until the night of the big storm. Because one night, the farmer awoke with a start. The wind was howling. Rain was rolling in. And the farmer immediately thought of all of the things that needed to be done on the farm. And so he raced into Victor's room to to obtain some help, some assistance with all of the chores that needed to be taken care of. But he couldn't awaken Victor. He shook him and shook him and was greeted by loud snoring in reply. 
He could not arouse him out of his deep slumber. The farmer was very unhappy. I will fire him for this in the morning, I will. But as the story goes, wherever the farmer went on his property, all of the things that he thought would need to be taken care of were already done. The farm equipment was parked securely in the barn. The bells of hay were all covered. The animals were fastened in their stalls. Everything was taken care of. He learned the meaning of Victor's phrase, I can sleep on windy nights. He could sleep because he was prepared. And so tonight, here in Loma Linda, when you and I go to bed, if you are ready to meet Jesus, if you have a living and vibrant relationship with him, I wish for you a peaceful sleep, a restful night. But if you are not ready to meet your Lord, if you haven't yet made that commitment to him, I hope you will have a fitful sleep, that you will consider the decision that you need to make to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Don't sleep unless you are prepared. We come now to the last lesson I want to highlight. Chapter 25, verse 10. And while they were going to buy the oil, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, I say to you truly, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The last message I want to highlight is simply this. Procrastinators, those who put off that decision to follow Jesus with their lives, procrastinators will ultimately be left outside. Now I guess on some things of life it is okay to procrastinate on. I'm, I'm not going to ask how many here have a closet or a garage or something like that that needs to be cleaned out. I'm not going to ask how many of you have assignments that you have put off that you are behind on. And oh, by the way, when April 15 comes, there will be a long line at the post office in major cities, people who have waited to do their tax return and mail it at the last moment. Did you know there's actually a procrastinators club? Have you heard of that before? They will elect officers... And, and, and it seems to happen on a regular basis that they will make an announcement that this year's meeting will not be held because the officers of the Procrastinators Club put off planning for the meeting. The Procrastinators Club, putting it off. There's some things that it's okay to put off. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, I urge you, my friends, I encourage you, don't put that decision off. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said it this way, tomorrow is the devil's word. 
Spurgeon said, the devil doesn't mind you making a decision for Jesus as long as you put that decision off until tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's word. On the other hand, we have a word that the Lord likes to repeat in Scripture. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. It's a favorite word in this section of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, what is the first word then? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Look down a little later in that chapter, verse 13, Hebrews 3, verse 13. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called, there's that word again, today. Look at verse 15, Hebrews 3, verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And, and just to make sure we, we haven't missed the message, over in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 7, again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. My friends, do you get the point? It's almost like you're in one of those rooms with surround sound stereo and on a speaker from every corner, the word is coming out. Today, 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 if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As I close this message today, I, I think of Noah's time. Picture that in your mind's eye, Noah preaching his last sermon before going inside the ark. The ark had been built over many years of time. People were gathered around listening to that last sermon. I believe, I believe that there were some there in his audience that agreed with what Noah was saying, that believed in what he was proclaiming. They believed him, but they said in their hearts, when we see the clouds begin to gather, when we hear the thunder begin to roll, when we feel the raindrops fall, then, then we will go inside the ark. And you know how the story goes. One day the clouds begin to gather, the dark clouds. Lightning flash, thunder rolled, and great sheets of rain began falling from the sky. And they knocked on the door of the ark, and they they pleaded to be let in. But the door was shut, and it was too late. And one day, I believe sooner than many of us think, another cloud will form in the sky. And this time, my friends, instead of the cloud growing darker and darker, it will grow brighter and brighter and more and more glorious. 
and those who have learned the messages from this story who have been a point of light, who have had the light of God's word, who have had an experience with Jesus for themselves, who have heeded the lessons from this story, will be welcomed by Jesus to enjoy his kingdom forever and ever. Which group will you be in? Which group will I be in?